our prayer for illumination. O God, by your Spirit, plant your word within us that we may follow your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and never leave him. May we find our home in your kingdom and our life in your Spirit. Amen. Before we hit our, our readings this morning, just a note on the prayer of the day. Um, there's a line in there, crossbound God, nothing protects you from open sky. It's, it's not becockening grave, it's beckoning grave. Uh, that would be my uh, error. So I wanted to clarify that here before we pray it. It's, it's a beckoning grave. We'll get there. Our first reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, and then 13 and 14. I think this may be the perfect reading for this weekend in which we uh, remember and celebrate freedom. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. The wisdom of God for all people and the call of God to all who live. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. Listen for the word of the Lord. As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the Samaritan village refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them, and they went on to another village. As Jesus and his disciples traveled along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the human one has no place to lay his head. Then Jesus said to someone else, Follow me. He replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of God's kingdom. Someone else said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those in my house. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Cross-bound God, nothing protects you from open sky and beckoning grave. Teach us to leave behind the fear that kills what is different, our love for what is dead and safe, 
May we set our face like you to find our true home, our unexpected city of peace, your fearless life through Jesus Christ, who will not turn back. Amen. Two Thursdays ago, I was driving down in the evening Riverside Drive to come to church here for a meeting that I had. And as I was approaching a red light at Hayden Run in Riverside, I noticed in my rear view there was this new model Ford Bronco, orange. Not seen one of these before. I thought, wow, what a, what a cool looking car. And right as I noticed that, this Bronco swerves around into the left turn lane to turn left on Hayden Run, laying on their horn and waving at me, but only using one finger. Now, I don't know what they were mad at, but I, I, I think what it was is that I wasn't allowing them to get to the red light fast enough. So naturally, I waved back. I used all five of my fingers. Now, somehow this moment, which of course is common, this type of road rage stuff, but it somehow has stuck out in my mind as symbolic of this time in which we live because there is a lot of anger out there right now, isn't there? And if I'm honest, there's a lot of anger in here too. Quick show of hands, how many of you in the last couple of weeks have wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume someone or something. Okay, there's a couple, great, all right. I thought I might be the only one. There's a few more of you out there. Yeah, Um, it's been a tough couple weeks, hasn't it? I don't say that to make light of this moment. We are living in difficult, angry, and divisive times. And how quick we are to call down fire on one another for one reason or another, for stupid reasons or for consequential ones. And apparently, we're not the only ones. Two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John, ask if they can do the same. And that's why I love this story. Because for as many years I've been trying to follow Jesus, there is still an awful lot of James and John in me. And I'm guessing there is in you as well. Now, this passage in Luke 9, this is the turning point in Luke's gospel. To this point, Jesus has been teaching and and setting people free and healing all across the Galilee, which is the northern rural part of Israel. But now he is turning his face toward Jerusalem. Now he has a direction. Some translations say that he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. This This is the turning point after which there is no going back. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to confront the religious and economic leaders of his time. And he will overcome them through nonviolent, self-sacrificial love. That's the plan. That's the plan that God has given to him. And he is going to die for this plan. From here on out, his teaching becomes sharper. It's, It's a little less invitational. It's a little bit more confrontational. It seems less graceful. Jesus knows he's going to die. And that knowledge doesn't scare him. It doesn't weaken him. It gives him a clarity and a purpose that he otherwise wouldn't have. Now, I thought about during these, this summer month here about changing the metaphor of the big table in Luke to something else because the tone does shift. 
You know, big table seems like celebration and, and welcome. And, and then let the dead bury their own dead seems less celebratory. And of course, to a degree, that's true. But Jesus is not changing his message of grace and inclusion, not at all. What changes is that he is helping us mature in our understanding of what grace really means. See, initially we hear Jesus in Luke 4 saying, I've come to set the people free and bring good news to the poor. We think, great, this is wonderful. I'm welcomed here at God's table just as I am. And God's table is big enough for all of us, and that is true. But as we live into that reality, uh, we learn that not everyone is excited to hear this news. Jesus has come to set us free, but not all of us want to be free. Some of us may not love things the way they are, but at least the way things are is familiar. Right? We may, in fact, prefer the bondage of our present over the freedom that Christ offers because we know the first one and we don't know the second. And so in our passage, the Samaritan village that Jesus enters, the people there refuse to welcome him. How dare they? But this isn't surprising. Samaria is not where Jews go to receive a welcome. See, Jesus isn't avoiding hard places, and he isn't afraid of doing hard things. Jews and Samaritans both considered each other to be heretics. And it's worth noting that everyone is someone else's heretic. To be called a heretic, that's just, that's just normal, right? That's just the cost of admission for having faith. Because everyone is someone else's heretic. And so Jesus isn't bothered by the Samaritans' rejection of him. But James and John are. They want to bring down fire. And they're not the only ones. See, following Jesus is not about protecting yourself. It's not about winning or about destroying your enemies. It's about dying for them. And 2,000 years later... You'd think that we should understand this, and yet so often we still respond just like James and John. Richard Rohr talks about how Christianity as a religion is still so immature. We've, we've barely begun to process the basics of what Jesus taught us. See, the gospel has largely been understood as a transaction whereby we are forgiven our sins rather than forgiveness as a process of transformation through which we become like Christ. We still have so much to learn. And thankfully, Jesus is a patient teacher. Sometimes Jesus' teaching is comforting, and sometimes it comes in the form of a rebuke, which is what he gives to James and John. Jesus isn't too polite that he won't rebuke them, and he isn't too polite that he won't rebuke us when we need it as well. But from Jesus, even rebuke, stern rebuke, is an act of love. Because sometimes we need to be shocked awake from our stupor to know that violence in word or in deed has no place for those who follow Christ. So we don't destroy our enemies. We love them, even die for them. And that's a hard teaching, isn't it? I don't want to die for my enemies. I'd rather just defeat them. Or better yet, I'd rather that they just change and become like me. 
that they might see things the way that I do. But that's not happening anytime soon, is it? So can we learn to wish well upon those with whom we disagree? Can we bless those who reject us while still working for justice? Can we learn to not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good? In this week where we celebrate our nation's freedom, we do well to remember the words of Dr. King. The choice today is no longer between violence and nonviolence. It is either nonviolence or non-existence. He was right then. He's still right today. And so Jesus is headed to Jerusalem where he is going to face those who reject him. And he will not call down fire upon his enemies. He doesn't stir up an insurrection. He doesn't vow that his followers will take vengeance on his behalf. No, Jesus takes all of our rage, all of our hatred, all of our violence, he takes it into himself and he sends back blessing and forgiveness. Jesus knows that if every act of violence is responded to in kind, then it will eventually consume us all. And so instead, he allows the violence to stop in him. And in doing this, he shows us the true path to freedom. See, we think that freedom is being able to say and do what we want, right? That's, that's more or less what we think freedom is. That's a, that's a child's understanding of freedom. True freedom is about knowing why you're here. Knowing what's li- worth living for and what's worth dying for. That's why all of those words from Jesus that seem so harsh, that's why he says them, right? Let the dead bury the dead No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. He isn't being cruel. He's trying to set us free by showing us what's worth living for, what's worth dying for. Jesus has come to set us free, but not all of us want to be free. Jesus was the freest person who ever lived. Which maybe, that's a strange thing to say. He was subject to a ruthless, foreign, occupying empire, He was a poor man in an oppressed minority. He was rejected by his own people, those that he came to save, for inviting them to love their enemies. To us, it may look like Jesus was anything but free. But as Paul says in Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. See, true freedom isn't being able to indulge your selfish impulses, like calling down fire on your enemies. True freedom is... The willingness to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Sounds really simple, right? Turns out it's really, really hard. And Jesus invites us to do hard things. Following Jesus costs everything that you have. And it is the path to true freedom. He calls us to let it all go and be free. Let go of your rage, your need to be right. Let go of your desire to protect yourself, to defeat your enemies. Let go of your ego, your story of how unfair things are. Let go of it all and follow him. The cost of discipleship is the cost of being totally vulnerable in this world and therefore totally free. 
You don't get one without the other. And the reward for following Jesus is true freedom for you and the redemption of the world. That's what's at stake. The reward is that we learn to stop crucifying each other and learn to love and to care and to serve one another, even those on whom we'd like to see fire come down upon. Because the choice is not between violence and nonviolence. The choice is between nonviolence and non-existence. And our non-violent God invites us to be transformed by nonviolent divine love. Let's pray that prayer of the day one more time. Crossbound God, nothing protects you from open sky and beckoning grave. Teach us to leave behind the fear that kills what is different, our love for what is dead and safe. May we set our face like you to find our true home, our unexpected city of peace, your fearless life, through Jesus Christ, who will not turn back. Amen.